Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. Josh and Chuck here. Say hi, Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Chuck, um, have you been paying attention to that that story that came out of Canada this past July? That that um, grisly murder on the on the Greyhound bus. Yeah, that was. Uh, it's you couldn't write something that ghastly. No, no, you really can't. So well, I guess we should probably fill in anybody yeah. who's not aware of it. Uh, there was this guy um, named Vince Lee, who allegedly out of nowhere. Uh, leans over in this bus in the dark of night that's just traveling down the, the plains of um, uh, Manitoba, I think. Right. Uh, and he just leans over and um, starts stabbing this guy sitting next to him who he's never met before. And yep. apparently witnesses say that they hadn't even spoken. No, completely unprovoked. Yeah. Um, and just stabs him and stabs him and stabs him and everybody just starts fleeing the bus. Yeah. And they end up locking this guy on there, and he starts walking around back and forth. Like I got the impression, kind of like a caged animal, right? And then I guess he gets the the idea to go back and um, cut the the victim's head off. He's now dead, right? But he cuts his head off, and he's walking around with the bus. Showing with, people with outside, yes, if, exactly. If I'm not mistaken. And apparently, he he dropped this poor guy's head um, in front of the witnesses, like uh, at the steps at the front door of the bus, right? Who were these people were holding the doors closed to trap them on, um, and there's this one other. Uh, this is bad enough, right? Right. Um, but there's this. The, he he did something else that just I think it makes everything kind of even worse. Um, he he walked back and started cutting off pieces of the guy and eating them. Right. And maybe this, we should have had a little warning before this podcast. This, this well, yeah, maybe so. Hopefully, from the title, people will uh, be right. a little prepared. Sure. So basically, um, I started researching this. I, I'd heard about it, um, this this incredibly ghastly murder. Uh, and I, at the time, I was writing or, or researching a, a, an article, How Cannibalism Works. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, as, as grim as it is, like, this is this is a pretty good story to use as a lead, as an introduction for the article, right? Right. And the more I started researching it, the more I realized I had this perfect line. It was like... You know when uh, when Mr. Lee, uh, I should I say allegedly, he's been charged, but he hasn't been convicted. Um, you know, ate that that those bits of flesh. He went from uh, a mere murderer to you know something like a monster, like right. a, a cannibal, right? But the more I looked into this story, like honestly, the cannibalism almost falls in line with everything else he was doing. Right. It was such an unspeakable act; it didn't stand out. It, the cannibalism was also, or almost muted, by the rest of the stuff. Sure. So instead, I went with Armin uh, Mivis. Right, which was another really bizarre and ghastly story. Out of it, it really Germany. was. It really. It's not nearly as. I don't find it nearly as disconcerting as as um, the uh, the the Greyhound bus story. Yeah, that one's a little more frightening. This it one definitely is, is definitely creepy, though. I mean, this was a consenting adult, right? Right. So, you want to tell them about Mr. Mivis? Well, yeah, this is a guy. I believe he put an ad on. Uh, in the newspapers or on a that website. That was on personals' websites. Yeah, looking for uh, someone who would allow themselves to be eaten by this guy. Yep. And what's that's remarkable enough, but he had he had a taker. Well, he had uh, he got close a few times apparently, but yeah, it's, uh, this one guy named uh, Bernd Jürgen Brandis, right, forty three, wasn't exactly what uh, Mivis was looking for. Mivis was advertising an eighteen to thirty year old, well built guy, and right. 
uh, apparently... You got a little less picky as time went on. Exactly, yeah. Um, so Brandis comes over, uh, and um, they basically get him drunk. Right. He's taking some painkillers, and um, Mr. Mivis cuts off his, his penis and proceeds to cook it. For the both of them. For the both of them. And um, I didn't put in the article, but what I gathered was that they both ate some and didn't really like it. Right. So um, this by this time, uh, Brandis, who's like totally consenting, fully aware of what's going on, what's going to happen, that he's going to die tonight. This right. is what he came over for. Right. Um, he goes to take a bath because he's just bleeding everywhere. His penis is cut off. Right. right. Um, and he goes to take a bath and... Uh, he he loses consciousness in the bath, so Mivis is like, "All right, it's it's you're done," and uh, cuts the guy's throat. And right. actually had set up like a uh, basically a butcher room mm-hmm. where he butchered the guy, and um, I guess made steaks out of him, flanks over that a kind period of, thing. of time. He ate uh, ate his body right forty four pounds portion. of this guy's body over the over a few months. The thing is, he was he had totally gotten away with it, right? Like there was the police had no idea this had happened. Um, there was no like missing persons report as far as I know or anything like that. And the 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 way he was um, the way he was caught was uh, some uh, some fellow uh, chat room dwellers uh, knew what Mivis was doing and apparently got wind that it, it had been successful or whatever and alerted police and they found out and he's like, oh well, yeah, totally, it was great, right? So um, I, I think what's most remarkable about this story is not only that this guy did this, but there was no law against cannibalism at the time in Germany. No. So he was tried for, or is being tried for murder. First they had him on, um, I think they had him on manslaughter. Right. And because, you because know. Because the other guy consented. He consented. Uh, and, and there was such outrage in, in Germany um, against it that, that they're they're retrying him somehow. Right. For murder. Um but yeah, there there is no law in the books. I think there is now. Right. Um, and the, the same goes for the UK. I really, really tried. I could not find any federal statute outlawing cannibalism in the US. But I did find vague references that it is illegal. But I couldn't find any actual law. Oh. But the thing is, it's almost like you don't really have to outlaw cannibalism because it's, it's a taboo. Completely, it's it's like it's beyond the law. It exists beyond the law. It's something way worse than anything that we need to sanction legally. You would think, you would think, right, right. So, um, what what uh, Mivis and um, Lee allegedly and uh, Albert Fish, who is a, a, a murdering uh, pederast cannibal of the 1920s, um, and of course one of the most famous of all, Jeffrey Dahmer, right. What what they what they were doing is called um, pathological cannibalism, which uh, basically that's that's psychology. That has very little to do with anthropology. The rest of cannibalism falls very much into the realm of anthropology, and it's been studied and studied. It's actually one of the more interesting fields of study or subfields of study, I think, in in, in any aspect of anthropology. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, as far as cannibalism is religious custom. Sure. And uh, offering up to the gods, that kind of thing with the Aztecs. That's part of it. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different types. Other, yeah, there's different subsets and different kinds. Right. You it's know, probably disturbing. You know Quick question. Well, I don't. I know you do. You school me. Okay, so you got survival cannibalism. Right. Uh, learned cannibalism, which is def- which is uh, subdivided into endocannibalism 
uh, which is eating like members of your family or your tribe or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and exocannibalism, which is the opposite. It's eating um, members of outside your tribe or family. And that's mainly for a religious uh, ceremony. Not necessarily. Probably. No. We'll get to that in a second. Um, there's there's also pathological, right? And then there's another one that I, I find arguably the most disturbing, auto-cannibalism. That's eating oneself, correct? Yes. Now, I, I didn't find any examples of some uh, an actual documented case of a person voluntarily eating themselves, aside for, from uh, Jürgen Brandis, who apparently ate some of his penis, right. but didn't really like it. Right. So but usually auto-cannibalism, it's forced. Yeah, but what about, like, I know I bite my nails, and a lot of people think that that is auto-cannibalism. It is technically. Um, do you eat your fingernail clippings, or do you just bite your nails? Cause that's no, I, when I was younger, difference. yeah, when I was younger, I would swallow my fingernail clippings, Oof. and uh, I, it would have, like, stomach problems and stuff. I would imagine so, Chuck. So You're I, not supposed to swallow that. <laughs> well, I, did, I was a little kid. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. It was a nervous You're habit. Like poor kid. Right. <laughs> kind of, except a little more fortunate, I take it. So I don't I do not do that anymore. I don't swallow. That's good. But yeah, you, you people do consider technically that uh, biting your fingernails is a form of auto-cannibalism. Um, more often, it's uh, it's forced. Auto, auto, auto-cannibalism is forced. Um, I think in like 2003 or 2004, um, in, in the Congo, some Congolese rebels were accused of um, killing pygmies and... Uh, and forcing other pygmies, or no, I'm sorry, forcing pygmies to eat parts of themselves before killing them, and also, you know, practicing cannibalism by eating the pygmies themselves. Just some pretty terrible stuff going on down in Congo. Yeah, and I know in the in the early uh, 1930s in the United States, even they had uh, a lot of uh, racist uh, fueled uh, acts of auto cannibalism. You know, there, I don't think enough people know about this. I hadn't heard about this guy until um, I wrote this article. Claude Neal. Had you heard of him before? No, I hadn't. Okay. Because, you know, they don't teach this stuff in history classes. No, and they really should. So they I should. think it's kind of up to us to, to, to teach it, right? Right. So in, in 1934 in Florida, um, about 2,000 white Southerners uh, gathered and basically sacrificed this uh, black guy named Claude Neal. Right. And, and they um, advertised it. They advertised in the paper. They sent out invitations. I know. That's sick. Right? And so all these people show up, and it's like this um, uh, just kind of uh, orgiastic um, sacrifice or ritual where they, they basically um, they tortured him. They, um, they cut off his penis and made him eat it. It was forced autocannibalism. Right, and his testicles as well, right? Right. And one thing that didn't make in the article is that they, they forced him to say that it, he, he liked how it tasted. And then finally, after a couple of hours, I take it, um, they finally lynched him. They killed They hung him. And the sad thing is, is this doesn't go down as like a sacrifice or an auto-cannibalistic right. act. It's called a lynching. Exactly. Which, it's, a lynching's bad enough, but this seems so much further beyond. Well, it is, and it's a way, it's kind of a way of even whitewashing. I mean, lynching is bad enough, you're right. Sure. But when you don't hear about those details, no. you think this guy was taken out and hung, which is already horrible. But yeah. Yeah. this goes so far beyond that, it's just... It definitely is, and, and like you said, they don't teach that in the history books, and, and no. I think they should. So, but um, they're, they're, those are the uh, types of cannibalism, right? Um, th- what about you? Know much about survival cannibalism, like uh, alive and all that? Yeah, well, the Donner Party was one of the earlier ones. That was the uh, the group of settlers that were uh, heading out west, right? Mm-hmm. And they a splinter group went off in the Sierra Nevada mountains yeah. and kind of encountered some bad badness weather and the like, and they resorted to cannibalism, and then. 
the film and book Alive about the uh, the soccer team that crashed in the Andes, I think. Yeah, Uruguayan team. Yeah, and they ended up resorting to cannibalism from some of their comrades who had, who had already died. Mm-hmm. They survived like 71 days like that. I know, and you know, that's one of the more forgivable, probably the most forgivable Definitely. form of cannibalism. Definitely, because it's survival. It's a, uh, you're, you're, you're surviving. Right, uh, and none and of these guys wanted to do what they had no. to do, but they, you know, they needed to. Agreed, and, and this was in 1972. Two or something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the early 70s. Um, so this is really, really recent. The thing is, is this has been going, it, this has happened many, many times. The Donner Party, um, there was a, uh, there was actually something in the 19th century called the Custom of the Sea, right? Right. Which is where, um, you know where you, uh, you, you're not happy with your lot in life, that phrase? Mm-hmm. That actually comes from the Custom of the Sea where you're drawing lots, Drawing straws, right? right? So you you have the straws cut up to different lengths, and everybody draws them. And as as per the custom of the sea, the person who drew the the shortest straw, and this is like if you were stranded, if it, if you were shipwrecked, and you were forced to resort to survival cannibalism, whoever drew the shortest straw um, was that that person was tapped to die. And whoever drew the next shortest straw was the person who had to kill them. And then everybody ate the, the person that was killed. It was like basically a codified survival cannibalism because yeah. it happened. It was just a fact of life when you were guess, a sailor. Yeah, I guess it's, I mean. Because there were no search and rescue parties or anything no. like that. I mean, like you may just, if, if you were rescued, somebody stumbled upon you, you know. Right. So it did happen a lot. And like you said, it is the most forgivable form, at least in the eyes of Westerners. It's survival cannibalism. So. You did what you had to do to stay alive. But at the same time. Um, it's kind of chilling in that it, how how easy it, it seems like it, it it would be under those circumstances to eat another person, you know? Right. Which kind of points out that at any given point in time, we're like one plane crash or shipwreck away from, you know, eating one another. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, it's a little kind of spooky to realize that it's, it's there. It's innate in all of us. Right. Nobody would think that they would want to do something like that. But when push comes to shove and you fa- you're facing death, and there's a difference also. I mean, I guess your lot in life, that, that story, you're actually killing somebody to eat them. But in the case of the alive ones, they, mm-hmm. they, sur- you know, they ate, they ate the dead. Yeah, they're fallen comrades. Right, right. So, so, so that's, that's a bit sur- of a difference. Yeah, yeah. That's survival cannibalism. And then you've got learned cannibalism, right? Right. And this is the stuff that's like really heavily studied. Um, there's uh, basically, they call it learned cannibalism or customary cannibalism. Because it's it's uh, socially indoctrinated, right? Right. Um, for with endo cannibalism, generally it's part of like a funeral rite. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fori people in Papua New Guinea and the Wari in uh, the Amazon were very well studied for their practices of cannibalism. Like the Wari, for example, uh, what they were doing. This uh, this anthropologist named Beth Conklin found out. That they were by eating their their um, recently deceased, they were transforming them. The Wari were really big on, or are really big on, changing their surroundings so that they're the not afterlife. reminded. No, actually, it's for the it's for the um, for the, the people, the, still the survivors. Okay, uh, they they were, they're supposed to change everything that reminds them of the dead person, so they're not. Sad or depressed. It's the, their way of getting over grief. That's one and, way to do it. And eating the dead body is um, it's a method of transforming it. So that's a, that's a pretty peaceful method of cannibalism. Uh, that's endo cannibalism. And the foray do the same thing. 
for slightly different reasons. They're actually looking to gain uh, certain attributes, like say wisdom or strength or that kind of thing. And it's very specific to the body part, right? right. So like, uh, and, and only, only certain people can eat certain parts of a deceased relative. It, it's really interesting how, you know, over the course of centuries or millennia, humans can really slap labels on all sorts of different stuff. Yeah, but you know this kind of deserves to be broken down because they're they're also different. You know all the different forms, so I don't think it's just uh, willy nilly the way they slap different no, names on these. No, but that raises the question: Why? Like, why? Why do people? You know, uh, ha- why do why do cultures around the world have codified, socially sanctioned um, cannibalism? <clears throat> and I think um, really in the article I divided that between. Uh, two approaches in anthropology. It's uh, materialism and idealism. Right. So, materi- did you get this far in, in the article? And actually, I fell asleep about at that point. <laughs> the, I think I'm just kidding. It's a great article. of our readers are, or listeners are asleep as well. It's my voice. It has a very lulling. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so, basically, um, the materialists say that cannibalism generated from necessity. Like, there was a drought, that kind of thing. And um, some some people who adhere to that are saying, you know, hey, it happens. This the cannibalism would would just be logical when you know you don't have a grocery store, right? We didn't know how to tame crops, and we we're just hunter gatherers. And all of a sudden, there's a drought. So well, you, you do what kinda, you got to yeah, do. Yeah, do, do what you got to do. It's survival cannibalism. Uh, and then the idealists say, no, no, no. Um, it's we interpret the world through symbols and. Uh, so the the human brain represents wisdom, and that's and then cannibalism came after we started interpreting things as symbols. Right, uh, and nobody's figured out who's right, but I tend to uh, lean more toward the the materialists. You think so? Yeah, I think cannibalism. That makes more sense to me. It's like yeah, it's like we were saying. It's it. it I think it's innate in all of us. And when the chips are down, I would eat you. Well, it's good to know. You know, Candace Gibson already told me that she would eat me. She called me meaty. Well, I, I think I'd provide a hearty meal as well. You would. I think I think we're about on par. Good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, at the very least, Armin Mivas could live on us for right. a very long time. Well, I'm hungry. I'm a little hungry too, Chuck. Do you want to go get something to eat? That's a great idea. Maybe a nice rare burger. Uh, I might go with a salad. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?